Hi guys, we are here for episode 15 of the Because Why podcast. I'm Lauren and I'm here with our co-host Allison. Hi everyone. And our very special guest, this is Mario Hall. So he works for our PALS program. What was your title again? I already forgot it. You already told us and I forgot it. people with the most complicated titles. It can never just be like, you know, like I'm a teacher. You know, it's like the most complicated (laughs) title. So even though you told us literally 30 seconds ago, what is your title at PALS? That would be... uh, case manager uh, for PALS, mm-hmm. and then program coordinator for FOCA, which is a Victims of Crime Act from the Attorney General's Office. Okay. And PALS stands for Positive Alternative Learning for Students. Yes, I got it. We're really excited to be able to highlight this program here um, today. I think it's one of the more um, not known programs that the Y does. Um, And it's really, it's an amazing benefit to the community and it's doing some great work. Um, here for youth in the Central Ohio area, so we're really excited to be able yes, to share thank you. this. And thank you, Mario yes. has a really unique story yes. with the PALS program, so you aren't necessarily a PALS kid that went through the program, but you were touched by the program yeah, and right. by um, Don Hurd, who runs the program, specifically. specifically Don, and you've kind of come back full circle, and Don kind of roped you back in and now you're a Y does as the Y does very well and now you're actually a part of it so you've truly come kind of like full circle so let's start first with just what is the PALS program what does PALS do and how is it unique because I don't think there's any other program like this in Central Ohio right right if I'm okay yeah from what I from what I understand that's correct okay um, but what PALS is it's an alternative suspension program uh, started in 2000 and uh, what it is, so historically, if a youth were to get suspended from school, um, they would not be able to get credit for attendance. Yeah. And not having credit for attendance would then eventually lead to them basically failing. Failing out, getting expelled, or yeah. All that type of stuff. So, PALS was a way to adjust that and then say, hey, for those youth that are getting in trouble, don't just send them home and then not allow them to make up their schoolwork. Give them a little bit of time to basically kind of recoup from whatever happened and then give them credit for their attendance and then as well allow them to get their schoolwork done so then that can in turn boost graduation rates for things like that. Um, at the time where Don started this, disproportionality of suspensions were, was extremely high. Um, I can't say how much of the difference is now, but uh, it still exists. And uh, that's the reason why Powell's is still beneficial. Um, the role of PALS today has somewhat changed a little bit based on House Bill 318. Uh, that changed. So now where if, a, if a kid gets ex- suspended or expelled, uh, a lot of times they're still able to get credit for their schoolwork. So okay. if a kid gets suspended today, the school is expected to get that kid schoolwork at home. Um, and then with that being said, they can still make that up and get credit for it. Right. PALS has now adjusted into the social emotional learning piece where Columbus City Schools specifically and all school districts um, are pretty heavy about right now because of the fact that there's been consistent suspensions and more violent episodes from youth lately. Um, they're trying to figure out, you know, what's the root behind this? So PALS has kind of evolved into a social and emotional learning center for youth. So we, we do care about academics, but if I get a kid in the PALS and they're not there because they fell in school, they're there because they did something else. Yeah, so, and a lot of the times there's a bigger root of the issue than just academics because kids aren't getting suspended just because of something I mean it could be something small or some sort of misjudgment or something Mm -hmm. but for the most part and a lot you see a lot of kids that come in 
more than once repeatedly repeatedly yes. so it's it's really like those kids like how do we catch them off at the past and like get to the root of this problem and really work with them beyond the schoolwork to really figure out how to kind of change the course of their life that's a good point though as far as recidivism goes um is the word that they use recidivism is, is the word tell uh, us what that means yeah. <laughs> i'm not sure i know what right, that right. means so, so recidivism <laughs> is a reoccurring visit to Okay. Anything at some point, okay. right? So, I mean, if you go to jail, they say you get out. If you go back to jail, that is a recidivism okay. situation. Um, recidivism, I don't want to say historically, but has been for the last couple of years that I've been around, was kind of termed as a bad thing. Kids shouldn't go to college, kids shouldn't go to college for four to five times a year. In my personal experience, and what we kind of realized is that that's not necessarily a bad thing. Mm -hmm. If I can continuously keep dealing with a youth over the course of a year mm -hmm. or over the course of multiple years, it's not a bad thing. I think we all know that sometimes it takes more than one time to learn something. Absolutely. So and to build kid, trust, I yeah, would assume. absolutely. And the relationships, is, we'll probably get into that, but relationships are one of the biggest things that ends up becoming one of the, the biggest, uh, one of the most rewarding things that comes from you know, doing some of what I've done at college. Yeah. relationships that are built but um, you know recidivism isn't a bad thing to me so you know constantly coming back is never really a problem yeah. in my eyes yeah well and when you were talking about this just thinking that like a lot of these kids if they do have trouble in school or if they have issues they, they probably don't really trust the school trust the system trust their teachers so to be able to come somewhere yeah. where maybe they they do trust you or, or begin to trust you or begin to trust the other teachers caseworkers it might even be a better place for them to land sometimes than school because if they can see you or if they can see the other you know teachers and really look up be able to look up to you or trust you like and build that and having that positive adult in their life can can be all the difference too big time trust is like uh, hard work <laughs> a big uh, word yeah yeah yeah, yeah, I, yeah it's it's one of the pillars of any successful kind of relationship in general, not even just with kids, I mean, yeah. human beings, I mean, even with, with us. I mean, at some point, if trust starts to deteriorate, things become a problem, yeah. you know, and so that, that's something that we like to build. And it's one of those things that can be gone in like a second. Yeah, like it, takes so it can long, take a very long like time to build, to build it. Up, and then can be lost in, you know, a matter of seconds. And that, that becomes a challenge sometimes yeah. because, you know, us, you know, dealing with youth, you know, as you both probably know, you know, being a mandated reporter requires you to have to take a certain uh, series of steps of certain yeah. things that are revealed to you. Um, and trying to mitigate the feelings of, hey, I'm gonna tell you some stuff, but at the same time, if I tell you, this is gonna now be knowledge to X, Y, and Z, yeah. that becomes a, a difficult fence to, to straddle. Uh, I think we do a pretty good job at it though. And as long as you're upfront about things, most of the time, yeah. the youth are okay. And a lot of times they wanna tell somebody anyway, they just don't know how to. Yeah. Yes, and they don't even, even if they wanted to contact somebody, they might not even know who the right person to contact is, but you do yeah. as a mandated reporter. You know, you have to, and if anybody that doesn't know what that is, a mandated reporter is somebody that if you know of some sort of abuse or some sort of mm -hmm. wrongdoing going on, you are obligated to report it to the proper authorities, no matter what the situation, no matter if somebody's asked you to keep it mm -hmm. confidential, anything like that, you are mandated by law to come forward and report that, or you could be in trouble Absolutely. personally. So, so Mario, tell us your PALS story. So we got to hear a little bit about it when we talked to you a couple of weeks ago, but your story is so unique. And um, 
I think that it's it's a really great story to be able to tell people and like you're such a success story maybe despite what path you alternatively could have gone on so tell us your a little bit about your story and how you became a part of the PALS program and how you met Don Hurd who yeah. runs the program yeah so um, I, will, I will keep it to somewhat of a I don't want to do a two hour oh we got all day <laughs> we talk all you want but, uh, <laughs> I'll try to agree to you some of that, but, uh, you know, so I graduated from Springfield South High School uh, in Springfield, Ohio. I don't know if you know Springfield, Ohio is. Um, but I went to Springfield uh, probably, well, I started going to Springfield South probably my junior year, um, and I went there with all my family, so that's, my mom graduated from there, my uncles, they yeah. graduated from there. Um, so I went, and um, Springfield, Springfield is, South Side of Springfield is where we were at, you know, it's, it's interesting place because it's almost like a world within a world so like if you if you like get popular there you feel like you're like on top King of the world, world. <laughs> yeah and then like you know it's almost like you've experienced every possible outcome of what could happen and then everything else is just a replica of some larger local that's how it feels and um so at, at some point you know I, I got there and with my family and what have you we're running around the city and having fun um but there became some some pitfalls which we'll probably get into later about why coming full circle was so important to me. Um, but uh, there's some things that happen uh, where you start to believe in a certain, I, I call it a religion, which is, you know, it's, uh, I, don't, I don't want to call it the hip-hop religion, but it's like a street code. Yeah, and, and street religion maybe. Yeah, you know, and, and there's, there's it's, it's, it's actually really strong, it's prevalent, um, it's, it's actually everywhere. And, um, in that, you know, coming from a family where, you know, uh, a lot of my cousins and all very much so entrenched in that lifestyle. So, um, not a big deal to me, it's like, it's all cool, you know, if not, you know, you run around and do whatever. Um, that eventually led into, you know, once I graduated, you know, at that point, I graduated at 17, a little early, thanks to the help of my mom and everybody, because I didn't care about school. It took a village. <laughs> it was terrible, you know? Yeah, and yeah. Funny story, you know, they actually thought I was cheating, because I, I was, I would not be doing my homework and failing my classes, but I ate all my exams. Because you're it. smart. Yeah, I, I just knew. If you it. don't, if you can tell by the way he talks, he's incredibly intelligent. <laughs> so like, I, I was doing that. You didn't need the homework and all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. just sense. just give me the test. Yeah, 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 I right. got it. And so like, at one point, I actually like, called like a little thing. I was like, oh, you can cheat. I don't need to cheat. Right, 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 right. <laughs> this naturally <laughs> smart. All right, but it was like, but you know what happened is like, so I graduated. But again, I, they they started putting the clamps on me. My mom got involved. Like, hey, you know, get your stuff together, figure this out. And I'll graduate. She helped me push me through the line got done. So, but after that, uh, there was a conversation of whether or not I'd go directly to college. Uh, and to be frank at that time, I'd probably waste money because uh, I wasn't prepared for it. Um, but to either go to college or take some time out. And my, I opted to say, you know, I'm going to take some time out. Well, I took some time out and I stayed in the same environment where there's tons of reasons and ways to get in trouble. Yeah. And so at that point, you know, we started, I won't say we started, but I started to uh, continue in the path of being into street things, uh, street religion things, where you start talking about, you know, you got problems with this guy, and, um, there's not going to be any rationale about how to resolve it. It's yeah. just, it becomes like a sport. And um, Living that life eventually led into me getting into some pretty significant trouble. Um, it was like April 15th of 2006, or 2005. Um, I got myself into a situation where I went to a party and um, we went to a party out of town, and this out of town place has 
I guess, a, a perception of where we came from, which mm-hmm. they're like, oh, you, you guys from there, so they yeah. didn't have an issue. Um, back at that time, I didn't care, so I'm like, you know, you got a problem, and you have a problem, and at that point, it's, you know, what we'll do about it, and, and so we, we go anyway. And interestingly enough, that night, um, before things went really bad, because um, I actually went there at the time with the girlfriend that I was dating, um, and I had like 20 guys with me, we were like all, all there. Um, but interestingly enough, like right before that happened, you know, I had a real uncomfortable feeling, and I was saying, you know, hey, we need to get out of here. And uh, I didn't, I kind of ignored it, and yeah. I stayed. And, yeah. Um, right after that, my girlfriend at the time, she was like a dancer, so she like, you know, got into the dance competition, and, um, at that point during that dance competition, uh, she was pretty aggressively violated. The guy picked her up, slammed her on the table, and was doing all types of things. So I didn't necessarily react like I was going to have a problem, but uh, the kind of person I am, I kind of have like a loyalty complex. So, you know, I'm not going to turn a blind eye to that. Uh, she's with me, you know, so we need to relax or we need to adjust this. And so, honest to God, you know, I wasn't going in there to, to, to have an issue at that moment, but uh, I did kind of jump in. At that point, the security, because again, it wasn't our party, the security in their little places, they all knew where we were from. And they kind of basically came from out of nowhere and started to cause the conflict. And that eventually led into all types of other street things and guns and all types of problems got, got involved. And some people got hurt um, due to what my choices were at the time. Um, and, you know, I'll save some of the super details out, but, you know, I, some things got, you know, a little, a little crazy and uh, I made some choices that uh, weren't the best. Um, at that time, um, but I, I'll be honest, I'm glad that we actually ended up getting caught and I'm glad that I actually ended up getting arrested because at that point in time, I was going to throw my life away at any given time. That, that night wasn't the first night that we had gone into that, yeah. gotten into that. Um, it wasn't going to be the last, uh, and, and I'm actually glad it happened, but the crazy thing was, so like after we were leaving, after the event happened and guns were drawn and things were people shooting and stuff, after that happened, um, we were actually pulling out and, uh, and and I guess I should probably backtrack a little bit right before that happened so we once the fight started to break out I actually ended up leaving the vicinity um, and when I left the vicinity I came to it's like a little hill so I leave and go down the hill I'm making, making sure everybody that I'm with is okay they're not not all of them are uh, my cousin's are my brother I still deal with him I still see him every day almost every weekend he still today has scars under his eyes from what happened that night um I try to make sure that they're okay, and um, I've noticed I can't find one of my best friends at the time. I couldn't find him, and I couldn't find my girlfriend. And so, what ended up happening is, excuse me, what ended up happening is that she ends up coming out crying and screaming and all that type of stuff. And she says, you know, hey, uh, your friend is, uh, they locked the doors, and your friend is in there and they're jumping. He's not okay, he's like knocked out. And I was like, all right, well, cool, I'm gonna go get him. Once again, my loyalty complex, so I go up there and that's when everything else kind of got a little worse. But uh, after that, with that situation, we leave and then, you know, somehow when the security guards fly the police down the floor or something. And we almost got away. Uh, we almost got away from that. I mean, they pulled over, I didn't go on a high speed chase or nothing. I got out and, you know, did the thing, you know, getting arrested at gunpoint and all that type of deal. I get out, you know, hands. Um, I know what I had just done. Uh, I don't know if they knew. I was well aware, um, but uh, at that point they pulled me out of the car. You know, they finally get everybody else out of the car. They put me over to 
one of the cars and the officer, you know, pats me down and I'm like, you know, he's like, what happened? I don't have anything, you know, my usual spill trying to lie, lie my way out of it. I'm like, I don't have anything. Um, he's like, okay. And I noticed he tapped my pockets, tapped my back pocket and he didn't go in it. I was like, all right, cool. So I thought he was getting away. Well, he came back, he doubled back and he doubled back and I was like, they, they, they found a gun underneath my front seat. And then he came back and then I was like, well, yes, mom. And um, then he kind of like slammed me up against the, against the car, like, you know, man, you know, stop, you know, basically stop effing with me and where, where, what happened and all that. And then he reached in my pocket and then found some more stuff that I had with me. And at that point, um, that's when they were, you know, I, I took the rap, you know, I'm not the kind of person that I don't, I don't like to lie and I don't like to play games like that. So I, I kept it real with the officer and everybody else. And I, um, I let them know what happened. I, I mean, they go into a whole spill right there, but I told them, I said, yeah, it's, it's mine, and this, that, and third. And they did the whole testing, you know, testing gunpowder, putting mm-hmm. his hands and all that. And, you know, um, obviously, I came back dirty, and, you know, that's what it was. And so I, uh, once once I got to the cell, um, they held me in a holding cell. They were going to take me uh, to the actual cell. And at this point, I'm 18, so I'm not a juvenile, so they're treating mm-hmm. me as an adult mm-hmm. in this situation. And, um, I'm, I'm sitting there, we have to write a statement, I write the statement of everything that happened. I tell them I'm there with my girlfriend, party gets out of hand, I didn't like it, I had to go to defense of my friend, all the whole story. Uh, but in between that time, it just took a while to realize that, you know, I heard some stuff on the radio, and these police officers saying that somebody had actually got shot, and some people were hurt, so at that point I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's a lot more than just a fight yeah, or yeah, something, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, like, you know, um, um, I, I write my statement or whatever, and I was like, probably 2 or 3 o'clock in the Again, my mom had had constant conversations with me about my choices, mm-hmm. you know, saying, you know, what are you going to do? And my mom, um, successful businesswoman, uh, kind of a big-time banker in the city, has been that way for a while, mm-hmm. and um, was was that during that time. Um, and she had constantly was there in my ear about saying, you know, what kind of person you know, what were you doing? Um, I was choosing what I was choosing. We'll probably talk about those types of things later, but my thing is, you know, I... Detective eventually comes and gets me out of my little holding cell like two or three o'clock in the morning. Um, he pulls me into the room and says, "All right, I read your statement. What happened?" So I go over the whole statement with him. Interestingly enough, you know, and all of my everybody else that was with me that I ended up getting arrested, they were in the car with me. They all lied, and they all lied, and I was the only one that actually told the truth. So they wanted to hit them with perjury charges and all types wow. of stuff. But they didn't. They he, he just said, "You know what?" And he said, you're, you're, I appreciate your, your statement. I appreciate you being honest." Mm-hmm. He actually even went further. He was like, he was like, based on what you told me, this is self-defense. You know, you should probably like. He was like trying to give me advice. And I was like, protect the Right. Did you be giving me this advice right now? Is this off the record? Right. So like, he he was doing that, but then you know, they eventually transferred me down, and I'm end up going to the downtown jail there. This one didn't happen close seven to Dayton, and they they send me down there, and one of the people, well. They, they do my booking, and before they can actually book me, I'm sitting there uh, in the waiting room, or not like a little waiting area in jail, uh, waiting for like all types of paperwork to come in. They still had to set a bell for me. Um, but this, this it was, the, the case was actually pretty bad. It was all in the news that night, so it was like a big thing, multiple people, like, it was a big thing. Um, but I'm in there, and I, I don't know it's on the news yet. I kind of hear some stories when I hear it, but I'm like, I don't know. Then I realize that they're talking about what happened. Nobody in here knows that I was the guy that caused this. Yeah. Um, holding cell and then eventually they send me upstairs they give me change my clothes they send me upstairs when I get there 
Um, they put me in a pod with like, uh, what I call like eight other inmates that had been there for some time. And uh, I, I remember laying on one of the cots and, uh, you know, just kind of minding my business and uh, not knowing what was going to happen, when I am going to get out, what have you. And there was a TV in there and uh, I saw it, it was like six o'clock news. They said they'll release the suspect's name and everything at seven and it's seven thirty. And I'm like, you know, whatever. I know that it's me, but I'm not saying anything. But the crazy part about it was is that, you know, they said, uh, they mentioned the person that had gotten hurt. Um, and uh, the guy next to me was like, uh, you know, those four guys over there, that's their cousin that got shot last night. And I, I, oh, I they didn't know who I was. And they don't know anything. Well, seven o'clock comes around my face, going right there on the screen. And they're over there. These guys are like six, four. Like, uh, so I'm in there. And I'm with oh, these guys. I'm no, by myself. No. It's like, for them, it's their, it's their family member. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, no. And like, so I knew that we were going to have a problem. So I was just like, you know, the kind of person I am, I don't know how to really, I don't know how to really like avoid a problem. I mean, if you have an issue, let's just. Yeah, now. Yeah. yeah. So, it's the biggest so, issue to hash right, out, right, though. It's just terrible. <laughs> right? So, but what ended up happening was interesting, you know. So I, I got up and I, you know, I had to go use the restroom and I purposely got up and used the restroom right after that went off because I'm like, let's just. To do it, I'm not gonna instigate it, but if we have to have a problem, we'll do it now. And I walk past them and I see the, the smallest one of the, the four cousins, or what have you. Um, he um, looked at me and I looked at him, you know, and uh, didn't say nothing to the room. On my way back, he's like, hey, let me come. He's like, I'll let you for a second. I was like, all right, well, here we go. And I mean, I figured that was gonna be the case, but uh, um, interestingly enough, you know, we sat there, um, he asked me, did I know, uh, I won't say names, but he asked me if I knew so-and-so. Um, I told him everything that happened, you know, and uh, I said, you know, yeah, no, I said, nah, he wasn't actually the person I had a problem with. We talked about it, we actually, not being funny, but we shared stories because, you know, that was his cousin, but like about three months before that, my cousin had gotten shot in front of me, and I had to keep him alive on the floor uh, at a party, and he was bleeding out and trying to keep him alive, and I, I still remember that to this day. Um, he's, he's alive, though. Pretty cool today. We probably say we best of friends. Really cool today. Yeah. But um, you know, right before that, you know, living that life, you know, I just said my cousin shot. He was basically giving to die, and you know, keeping him alive. So I explained, you know, I understand how it is. You know, I get it. But I said you might have any problem with you know, the person you know, that you have. Yeah. It's unfortunate that that happened. And, um, I guess you know, me being able to address the situation head on the way that I did, you know, we should. I went over back there. Um, he said some other things. We said some other things that weren't the best things to each other, but you know, we ended up being okay. Um, and then, uh, then they blasted the screen for shit. My bet was like one hundred and fifty thousand dollars to get out. Jeez. And I was like, all right, well, what's the case? And my mom calls me. Uh, on the, well, I was able to get her on the phone and then try to go into legal representation. Uh, the first lawyer was absolutely terrible because he cared nothing about. He on my case, he just got there. I tried to explain to him what happened. Yeah. He cut me off in the middle of my conversation. He mm. says, "Just get to the good stuff." Interestingly enough, though, he ended up working for the firm that I eventually ended up hiring <laughs> after about a year of wow. dealing with the case, yeah. and then you know, uh, it, it all ended up. Working. End up but, yeah. But uh, you know that that's kind of what happened with that case a little bit. So then we ended up going the case. Um, in between that time, I ended up meeting while the case was going. I ended up meeting with the. Uh, mother of one of the victims and 
she, uh, when I met her, she actually started crying because she thought the way that the media had portrayed me, and the way that um, the judge and her family portrayed me was that I was some monster. Mm-hmm. And she didn't come to the initial hearing, her family didn't. And I came in there with, at that point, my attorney, put my suit on and everything, and be representative of trying to get out of the situation and being able to kind of get it together. Um, but they must have went, they went back and told her, like, he acts like he's some, you know, mafioso guy. He's like, thinks he's untouchable. So when she met me, she was ready to like being attacked. Uh, but when we talked, she started crying. I ended up meeting the guy uh, that I actually, I ended up harming at that point. Uh, we, um, he ended up starting saying, he was like, I'm just telling everybody, like, I'm, uh, he's my godfather. You know, uh, he, I wouldn't know he'd be around me. Like, this is a guy that was actually hurt by me. Um, but, uh, you know, I kept in touch with him. I wish I could get in touch with him now. I, I haven't been able to talk to him for a while, but I wish I, I try actually tried looking him up at one point in like about a year or two. Facebook. Did you look out there? No, I don't, I don't actually, <laughs> We'll help I you. Have, have no we'll help you. Yeah. Yeah. We're just talking because yeah. we, we can find him. Don't you right. worry. After yeah. this, we'll talk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like, I was trying to find him, you know, just to talk. Well, you probably still think about him all the time. So what? You probably still think about him yeah, a lot. You know, at, at different times, you know, yeah. I think about that. Um, you know, I, Hope he's doing okay. Yeah. Uh, but I, at one point he was playing basketball, and what had occurred that night temporarily stopped him from playing. Uh, but by the time you know, uh, he started communicating with his mom. She was like, you know, he's back dunking the ball and yeah. mm-hmm. playing ball and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Good. yeah. Um, but you know, she funny story is so she started calling me um, for like about a year or two years in between that. She started calling me every time she had a problem with her son. So like, if he was acting up, she's like, hey, can uh, can you talk to him? And I'm like. Me like that. Yeah. Like, so you were like a house case manager before right, you right, were right, a house. Yeah, right, yeah. So she was like, hey, can you talk to him? And she, she was like, he's got this girlfriend and she's sending him pictures and I don't think they're going on. <laughs> so all that kind of stuff, you know. But um, so all that being said, so in between the time that that case was over, um, to this day, I don't know how it happened, but um, my mom somehow ended up being sent down to the YMCA to meet a guy by the name of Dr. Er, in between this time. And I don't know. I, it's funny me and Dom talking about this the other day. Like, I don't know how you got your number. This is like the biggest blessing in disguise. I'm hearing you say all of this, all of this, these details, and I'm just like, that's divine. And like it every is. time, it's divine. Because had you like, not, I don't know how else you explain? Had that. you not gotten caught, who knows what you would be doing? Yeah. Had you not it's, met Don and yeah. come up, become a part of this pals program, who knows? And if things could would've. have been different, like, yeah. in a second, yeah. you know? And the fact that they played out that way all for in your favor. Oh, well, like, I, how I, else do you explain that? I, 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 can, I, can, I can, I mean, this is divine dimension. Yeah, so yeah. that is a little bit scary to me when I go back to it because of the fact that, you know, um, yeah, hopefully, you know, whoever the season's done, like, you know, it's like, oh, this is crazy to be saying. But, um, you know, like I said, there was, um, there was, um, it was, it was about where the kid had actually gotten hurt. About two inches up, they would have switched it to attempted murder for me. And so they didn't wow. because of about two inches. Wow. Um, and, you know, with everything else, you know, that happened, I mean, literally, we prayed. Um, my relationship with God and things like that kind of changed a little bit um, during that period of time. I mean, literally down to the fact that, you know, the day, the day of my sentencing, um, there's like a truck that, like, drove right in front of Scripture that literally talk about going in front of court. I just wow. for it to be on the side. Like little, yeah. But it's like it's like going mm. to court and wow. being judged. Like there was a ton, 
there's tons and tons and tons of things that happened like that that were unbelievable. Yeah. Like the, the prosecutor, one, the first prosecutor came in, was trying to throw the book at me, didn't want to give me any type of leniency. Uh, she was gung-ho about it. Uh, she ended up getting sick, had to get taken off the case. Her boss came in and was like, yeah, no, he's, I'm trying to send him away for like 10 years, he's going away. Then he got fired randomly. Then by the time they all figured out, the last attorney was like, the family's happy, everybody's fine. Mm. Um, and that was one of the most emotional times for me during the sentencing. But one of the pre-sentencing was the mom came in and spoke on my behalf. She spoke to the judge and was like, please just don't, don't, don't touch him. Let him, let him figure this out and he's going to be okay. Yeah. And she was like crying, saying like she needed me. And I'm like, you know, I'm the guy, I'm like the bad guy. You know, she's like, I, I need him. Mm-hmm. That was a really emotional time for me uh, at that period of time. And uh, it ended up, um, it ended up paying out though. I remember my attorney saying, you know, Take this and run away with it, and uh, don't, don't come back. Yeah, you, this this can't be in vain. This like you, one, you yeah. have gotten it's this like gonna redemption chance. Yeah. Actually, doing like my sentencing, like I was when I went there, and they realized like so they read my charges and stuff, and like, I got them all down. It was like it's terrible. Like, it's terrible back there. It's like they, they they threw the book at me for for sure, and it was like not just one thing. They charged me like four or five. Yeah. And they were like heavy things, and they were like so I was sitting there, and there's. There's inmates that are sitting like, in the little row and they're by the judge and they're watching me stand in front of this guy. And the news is there, Channel Seven's there. Like it was like a big case. Like, yeah. Like, Channel Seven's there. They're like in the in the thing. I'm sitting there looking at them. And they're like wanting to see like yeah, this guy's going away. Um, I remember they were reading charges and I saw some of the inmates laughing like laughing at each other like oh yeah, he's done. But turned around and was like five years probation, wow. five to ten years on the shelf. Uh, he looked at me dead in my face. For everybody, I was like, uh, he said, you know, I see you. He said, I see people like you in my courtroom all the time. He says, uh, and then he said, um, but he says, you seem like you're different, and that you're gonna do something different. He said, so I'm gonna give you a chance, I'm gonna give you a shot. And he said, um, he said, good looking at me today. Get wow. in the courtroom. Wow. So what was going through your head at that point? Um, like, how did I just, <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> what just happened? So, like, after a year of, like, constantly, and thank the Lord for my mom. You know, Shout out to the good moms to, yeah, out yeah, there. She, sure. She's great. Yeah, yeah, she, she, had, she had some money to, to help throw behind, you know, my, my case. Because my first attorneys, they basically gave up. And yeah. She was like, you know, I don't know what to do. That's it. Um, I remember that day, I was like, I, I had sentencing in two days, and she was like, Days. I'm like, all right, well, cool. So I was like, I'm gonna tell everybody, you know, bye or whatever. The crazy thing about that is, is though, is that the life that I was living at that point, I was already prepared for the fact that I was going Yeah. At some point. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, whatever. Mm-hmm. But once you start going through it, you start being like, this is gonna suck. Like, yeah. Like, I don't know. What, <laughs> was like, what was your maximum sentence that you could have gotten? Uh, they would have ran uh, probably five to ten. Okay. Five to ten. Okay. My plea deal was for two. So okay. I would have took a plea deal and then found out that they were giving me two years okay. in prison and then possibly. Yeah. And then if I do probation, then probably probation. Then, then you're right back in for the remainder. Oh, for, well, not even for two, though. The remainder five, of your sentence five, or whatever that is. Yeah. So, um, and Don played a special role yeah, so, in this. Yeah, right? yeah, so like all that being back said. Back to so, pals. Right, 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 yeah. So <laughs> with all that being said, so somehow in between that case, um, I had to show some effort. And so my, my attorney was saying, you know, it's up to you if you want to change your life. But yeah. you need to go um, as far as, as far as, at first it was like for court purposes. 
you need to make a good showing. You need to go do something. Yeah. I don't know how I've met Don. I don't know what happened, but all I know is that I somehow I ended up walking into the YMCA at the direction of my mom said, you need to go see this guy. I asked her to this day. She won't tell you. I don't know how I got his number. I asked Don, who called you? Did my mom talk to you? He's like, I don't know. Don does not remember. He's like, he doesn't know, right? So, like, I walked into the YMCA. I walked in. I was asked for some guy named Don. They're like, oh, yeah, he's right here. So I walk in. And he's like sitting there, and it's just interesting enough. So his office today is the office that I first met him in. He wow. just he just moved back to the office. He wasn't there. Like once everything's come full circle right, yeah, in right. so many ways here. Right. Well, shout out to Don Hurd, by the way. He should be on this podcast. He did not, he did not want to be with us. No, but we're. I'm not giving up. We're gonna get him on this podcast. And he's such an essential part of this. Program. Oh my gosh, he's he is like the lifeblood of this program, sure. and he cares so much about these kids and about. The people that work for him. How long has you know how, how, how long Powell's has been around? Twenty years. 20 years. And has Don been around? I think he's always been. Yeah. 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 Yes. And, uh, so anyway. Said, no, like I, I walked in there and he sat there and he looked at me and he's like, you know, what's the deal? What are you, what are you here for? And, uh, um, I basically told him what the deal was and we started talking about, you know, my situation. He didn't say much. I remember that he didn't say much. He just kind of looked at me. Um, and he was like, all right, come on. And I was like, come on, where? So we like walked down the hallway, and he's like explaining to me what Powell's was. And um, at that point, he was like, you know, you're going to help me out around here for a while um, and help me deal with these things, and you're going to clean up, and you don't give me all the you know, stuff, you're going to clean up this, and all that kind of like, all that kind of stuff, right? But then uh, he eventually, over time, he did, it was kind of a way of like showing a certain level of responsibility a little bit. And like a different world of like you know, there's other things going on in the world besides what you're doing, what's right happening in your in your lane. Yes. And and, and, I don't, and again, I, I want to give credit to my mom too because she was definitely like that. Um, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't have been able to come out the way that I was able to come out. Of yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but Don was like definitely one of those people instrumental in that. And he was one of the four people that was willing to write a letter to the judge yeah. and uh, helped adjust that. And the pre-sentencing day when the mother had spoken on my behalf. Uh, the judge read those letters. Uh, I don't think I read Don's letter. I think he just wrote it and gave it to me and had everybody read it. Then I heard it and the judge was reading it. And, uh, uh, it was it was it was part of the impact of what impact of the judge's decision to right. say you know he's, this kid's got some support. Yeah. And, um, they realized that you know in between that time I had enrolled, I was going to go to Ohio State and I enrolled in Columbus State um, for economics and things like that. Cause I've always loved money and economics. It took a while, and after about a good, uh, after about a good year throughout that course, that I kind of started realizing, you know, how ridiculous the spot I was in. Um, one of the defining moments was actually that night, or the other night when I was actually in jail. Um, Fifty Cent, um, you know, Fifty Cent, Fifty Cent came on the TV, and uh, these guys and all of us in this jail were all idolizing this guy. Um, they were all looking at the screen like in amazement. And um, I remember thinking, yeah, this is like the dumbest stuff. Like, I don't know, this is like the dumbest thing in the world. I mean, you guys are idolizing this guy. Yeah. His music, you want to follow him, but he's like living a totally different life. It's Completely different life. Right. And, right. So, like, and I started realizing the, the, the consistency, how deep the lies are, mm-hmm. and the philosophy of how flawed it is. Yeah. And once you, once you start to recognize certain truths about things, if you, if you understand the truth about anything, it's hard to be disillusioned. Yeah. And that's that's the beginning stages of when I started to feel like, right? 
so I just came this is just yeah I was literally in there with a guy that had been in there for a month and he had been calling everybody and he could have been out of jail if he had 250 dollars but nobody had 250 dollars wow. so he was in there for a month and wow. another guy that was in there for his fourth domestic violence charge I'm like, you wow. keep doing the same thing you're here another guy I'm like laying next to he's like burning bibles in his front yard mm-hmm. and in my head I'm like you don't want to be that person what are you doing here right you have an alternative there's there's another life that you can live and like you so you kind of took this opportunity and ran in the right direction with it because you've been doing well ever since yeah after that so once once the you know we got on probation since we got five years probation time on the show our probation officer came to visit me like once (laughs) and he was like you're doing good. You're doing well. Like, like, right, you're you taking know. the opportunity. You really yeah. took that seriously when they said, yeah. "This isn't an opportunity yeah. for you." And, and it wasn't. And it wasn't so much even about trying to avoid getting in trouble. That, that's the one thing that happens with our youth now that I have a problem with. At least that I did with pals. They, they try to avoid being in trouble versus understanding what they want in their life. Yeah. See, avoiding being in trouble is one thing compared to saying, "I actually don't want that." Right. That that's something that is a difference. And how you behave or how you move. Uh, again, I, I've said this a couple times. Like you know, there was a guy that worked at out of Federson, um, not with our team, but with the rec center there. And um, he asked me. Like, we were talking about stuff. And we were talking about some really detailed stuff, and they would bring up hypotheticals, and I'd be like, "Oh yeah, that happened to me." Or yeah, I know. They're like, oh, are you serious? I'm like, yeah. But then they're like, he he stopped, and he was like, you know, what happened? He was like, how did you change? What made you change? And I was really frustrated with myself because I didn't know how to answer it. And so I was like, I, I don't know. And they were like, yeah, I don't know. And then Scott got quiet and just moved on. And that bothered me. When I got home, I was like, you know, I don't want to answer that question again. It bothered me because I'm like, I know uh, I should have an answer to that. Mm-hmm. And eventually over time I realized that the answer was that I didn't change, but it's evolved. I grew past the time. Yeah. So I'm still the same. I'm still the same guy. Yeah. That, you still have the same heart. You're still the yeah, same person. I'm still the same guy. I still rationalize the same way. It's just I'm just smarter and better. Mm-hmm. And I know how to channel those emotions into what they really are. Yeah. And that's some of the stuff I'm trying to get back in the past and trying to do some of that. But, um, but Don was one of the, like I said, one of the four people that wrote a letter to uh, keep me out of prison. Fast forward. I mean, in between that, fast forward, like maybe, I don't know. 10 years. You've done lots of good stuff yeah, like within the 10 years. Yeah, I went to, <laughs> was getting ready to go to law school. Yeah, graduating from college. college. Yeah, I right. Stuff, you know, and then I, I get my hair cut one time and saw Don walk in there. He didn't recognize who I was. I knew his face immediately. And I was just like, oh, I gotta talk to this guy. He's like, I, can't, I can't walk out of here without saying something to him. Uh, it's probably the reason why I'm sitting here like this right now. Yeah. So I get up and I go talk to him. And I, I could have been a little. I didn't have to do so rude like I don't just cut it like I didn't have time. So I was like, so, I'm doing it now. I'm doing it now. Right, so like the bar was like literally cutting his hair. I'm like, hey, um, you named Don Hurt? And I walked over one and he kinda of looked at me like Were you? Yeah, yeah, like, Maybe. Yeah, right, depending right, right, on right, who right. you are. Right, he's like, You got a problem or something, you know? And I'm like, it's like a, so my name's Mario Hall, man. I don't know if you remember me, uh, but uh you one of the few people that helped me out when I was younger. He wrote a letter to, to the judge that came out of prison. Yeah. I said, no, you know, since then, man, I'm getting ready to go to law school. I said, I got some business stuff going on right now, so I'm going to take a break from it, but um, thank you. And uh, I just want you to know I really appreciate it. If there's any time, anything that I can do to help you out. Shouldn't have told him um, that. Yeah, I was like, he's like, you, he was you like, open right, that right, 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 you're here. Right, right, he was, like, he was like, all right, cool, so we shook hands. But I didn't talk to him for about like, another year after that. And then, like, all of a sudden, uh, something was on my heart about a year after that. Uh, I called him and said, I want to be a guest speaker at Powell's. I was like, I just need to get back because of some of the things that I was seeing in my life and the successes I was having 
I didn't feel good not being able to go back and tell yeah. one of my youngins, like, oh, this is an opportunity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but, so um, at that point, I um, I called him. And he was like, yeah, you can be a guest speaker. Um, won't you come down and we'll talk or something like that? All right. And now here you are. And then after that, he was like, you know, actually, you know, you got time. Yeah. He's got like five other jobs. <laughs> but. Right, yeah. So I was like, I got a little time. And at that point, he was like, I could really use you. And um, I wasn't going to turn it down because I wanted to get back. So yeah. That's kind of how that ended up. Dating situation, I ended up being here back in the house. How has giving, be, now coming full circle, coming around the other side, seeing these kids at this program, how has that like impacted your life? being able to help, try to help these kids not change, like you said, but evolve and evolve in a better way. Because a lot of these kids don't have bad hearts. They they are good people. people. They just need pointed in the right direction or help pointing themselves in guidance. the right direction. Yes, yeah. a little so, nudge or a lot of guidance. <laughs> so it's like, that's a, a multi-pronged yeah. question, which, um, you know, so first off, you know, going back to the circle was something that impacted me because I'm sure you guys know like seen a movie and then like you go back and watch the movie a second time there's like the second movie clarity like, yes just, like, all the things you missed miss, yes like, oh this is what's going on right that's kind of how this is all unfolded for me so going back has impacted me in a way of like giving me clarity about certain aspects of life and so like when I get a chance to go back and see certain kids I can look at them in the face and then not be like I don't understand you I don't I understand you more than you understand yourself, right? Yes. Like, I really get it. Yes. You, know? you and, see um, it from the other side. Yeah. Yeah. So I can watch the development, and then I can actually like see myself like going through something. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. I was right there. I was doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so I would go through that. Um, so that's one of the things, like as far as like how it has impacted me, it's given me clarity and comfort in my role and my choices that I've made over time. Um, um, but as far as you know, the kids being you know, good kids and things like that, yeah. Kind of, I'm not hard on them. Sometimes it's like they have to make choices, yeah. um, and that, that, that gets into. I mean, there's there's literally two things that I discuss with kids. Majority of the time, it's consequential thinking and recognizing that you have a choice. Um, without consequential thinking, most of these kids that I see in the house they have trouble connecting dots. Yeah, they don't understand. I mean, hey, I cuss my teacher out. She doesn't like me. I don't get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, <laughs> you cuss her out. Right. So right. You disrespect right, right, her. Right. That's, right. Part, that's right. part of it. Right. Um, you know, and they have they have they have like no concept of that. But when you have no concept of being able to connect dots or make logical deductions with things, you leave room for things that can basically hijack your ability to think and make sense of things. And for basically right now, I mean, my life, my theory is not to be like a philosopher, but like there's like three different things in this life of sane people that can make them appear to be not normal, which is love, drugs, and religion. These three things have the have the ability to make you rationalize irrationally. You can be in love with somebody or something, and they're like, "Why are you doing that? Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense." But to you, it makes mm-hmm. sense because you love them, right? Mm-hmm. You know, or, or or drugs, which is a terrible thing. When you see drug addicts with these things, you're like, "Why are you doing that?" Yeah. Um, and then religion is another thing where you can do things where it can hijack your common sense, yeah. and it will have you do something that is against your best interest. Yeah. And you watch these kids do it all the time, and without being able to connect dots. That becomes one of the biggest things. They're not able to rationalize or make good decisions. And because of that, they're more susceptible to the street religion of this is what's cool, this is what you need to do, this is right. right. And they're more susceptible to that because they can't even understand the basic logic. They'll listen to a rapper tell you, 
um, you know, and that and that 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 was one of those immediate gratifying, you know, uh, I don't say, but it was one of those gratifying moments for me immediately. Yeah. You know, but as far instant as gratification, yeah, is that yeah, what you're looking yeah, for? Instant, instant <laughs> gratification, yeah, that, that is actually correct. <laughs> um, that that's like that was one of those things that was like impactful to me. But as far as over time, um, all I can tell you is that I think I can see the relationships that have been built. And so if I say it, the impact in the community, um, I know this past summer. Um, there was kids uh, at the location that is the north location, the Federal location. They're on they're on summer break. Mm-hmm. They have absolutely no reason to come go to a house classroom to see if somebody's there. Mm-hmm. I so happened to be there one day. Or go in there and like they walk in there and they're like, I just want to stop by and say hi. And it's like, well, you want summer? Like you don't even have to come here. And they're like, man, yeah. I just want to see if you're here, man. That's the cool thing. Like that makes me like. Yeah. Realize that, and I think that those relationships will ultimately fester into different yes. things. So I mean, the, the impact of that is is, is crucial. A lot of times, these kids just want to be heard. They don't. Yeah. They don't yeah. have any friends. That yeah. Are, they have to care for them all the way. Right. That's all they want. So. What would you say to a parent or guardian who is struggling with a, a teenager or a young adult? Um, you know, that's maybe going through a lot of problems or they're just having a lot of trouble getting through to them and maybe they don't have a, a PALS program or something like that that they can offer to them, what would you say to them? First thing is you have to relate to them. Um, it's one of the most detrimental things in the world when a parent is like, y'all kids are stupid. That's, or, or, or they have like no, like, you have a parent that says they don't understand why that kid wants to go to that party. That's, that's not beneficial because you're not able to recognize where they are at the moment. Yeah. Um, that's not okay at all. And that, that, that ends up breeding separation and those kids start saying, my parents don't understand me. Yeah. And when that happens, you have a cascade of other things yeah. that occur after that. Um, so one is like to be relatable, like listen, like try to understand them. And uh, now with listening, you need to have the second thing though too, but you don't want to just be too lean, so you need to have structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, um, again, you know, not to harp on African American culture, but from what I see right now, what I'm dealing with, um, it's depleted, it's, 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 it's severely depleted as far as structure in the home. And you don't have to always have the ultimate structure, but yeah. these kids have like no structure. Mm-hmm. Well, kids that. crave structure, yeah. like they need yeah. that. No matter what home it is, like kids need structure, they need discipline, even if it's hard, and even if they hate you in the moment, you know, my mom was always really strict and tough. Oh, yeah. And now that I'm an adult, if I was ever a mother, I would be exactly like her. It's, it's so bad to look to the point that like, you have kids that are like, terrified of structure where they're like, they, they're good at sports. Yeah. They won't even go play basketball. Yeah. They won't do it. They, yeah. they won't try So they have out. to listen to somebody yeah, and listen to somebody show up on time and do drills. And, yeah. So yeah. Like, between like becoming relatable, giving some structure, you have to have structure. Don't let's just let your child just do whatever. Like, yeah. Contain it. Mm-hmm. And then, um, once again, it goes back to that consequential thinking thing. If you have to make them connect dots, our kids are not connecting dots at all. And it's, it's, it's actually frightening. Yeah. It's to the point, if, you can't, if, you're, if you're to the point where you can't connect dots at all, there's nothing I can do, mm-hmm. nothing we can do. We'll just sit there and be like, I mean, you, just, you just don't understand what you're doing. Yeah. And so if a parent just, you know, you have kids that are like, lie to their parents, parent knows that they're lying, and then act like that's okay. I mean, there's only so much you can do, but at the same time, like you have to address that. Yeah. Because the kids are like they're coming into school, they're doing the same thing. They're telling their parents whatever. The parents are like, yeah, okay, that's fine. That's like what? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. that's not okay. No, like, that's not true. Yes. You have to address it. If you don't, that same habit 
continues to be a part of what they do right. as they get older. Right. So those would be like the three things like if a parent is done with their kid, that's that'd be within those three things. Yeah. So, yeah. You want to ask our last question? Sure. I feel okay. like I've been real chatty. No, that's okay. Um, okay, so this is a question that we ask everyone who uh, we have on our podcast, and it's like our personal favorite question. So um, if you could complete this sentence for us, if not for the PALS program, Two words, yeah. it could be whatever you yeah. think. Um, no pressure, whatever. Yeah, Everyone's yeah, yeah. answered answered it on here, and we've loved every answer. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I would probably say uh, two things. Uh, one, if not for the PALS program, um, there's a lot of youth that wouldn't have been able to understand what a good relationship could be. Um, a lot of the relationships that we have with youth are they're actually beneficial relationships. Yeah. Um, we watch them grow. Um, I know some kids that are. Um, I have one kid right now that was having problems when they were in middle school. Still has problems today, but much different. But they're they're playing basketball on the team, yeah. and they're consistent about being there. And that is due to certain things. I think without the Palace program, if not for the Palace program, a lot of youth like like that would kind of just not really have an option to be able to experience somebody that's older than them that would be an authoritarian some type of authority role or something like that um, authoritative role that they'd be able to they wouldn't be able to have them really same thing without the PALS program that wouldn't exist for some of these kids and then um, lastly you know, if, it wasn't, if it wasn't for the PALS program I wouldn't be able to give back the way that I have um, the, PAL, the PALS program and the YMCA have allowed me to give back the way or in a way that I have been rewarded by and it meant a lot to me. Like I said, I've got a lot of other things going on, but I wouldn't have felt right moving on to the other things that I'm doing without having the time that I've done here. Because then I can then later on say, okay, I've, I've given, I've given a piece of myself back to where I need to be. Yeah. And um, not saying that it, that I that I stop um, once I've moved on to other things, but um, I mean, it means a lot to me. It's probably probably one of the one of the few most rewarding things that I've been things that I've experienced. Without that, I wouldn't be able to get back to that. I love it. Great answer. Well, you're changing lives and you're doing an amazing job at yes. it. So. Yes, you are. And we appreciate you being on here, being so candid about your story, being yeah. so open and honest. I'm sure it's not easy to talk about maybe something in your past that has maybe defined you but isn't who you are now and is maybe a little bit hard to share. But we appreciate you yeah. being honest and open and Hopefully there's one kid or one parent out there that can relate to your story and maybe maybe you've just changed the course of somebody's life. So, so this would be like the first time I've ever been on record about it. I've talked to some people, a lot of a lot of believe a lot of people that know me, especially business acquaintances, have no idea this is like the first yeah. time I've ever been. Well, well, we you appreciate your you telling yeah. your story. It's, yeah. it's one worth sharing, so you should probably share it more often. It's a very inspiring story. But if you guys want to know more about the PALS program, you can go to ymcaclumbus.org slash PALS and learn about what Don Hurd and Mario and all of our awesome PALS people are doing to make uh, Columbus City Schools better and to help the youth around Central Ohio. So thank you for watching today. We appreciate it. We will be back on on Thursday to talk about Team Leaders Club.